But let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 3, as we continue our study of uh, what God's doing with Samuel. We're going to read this morning probably the most familiar story. It's certainly one of them. There, there's a lot of familiar and uh, very known stories, if you will, in, uh, in, in the book of First Samuel. And uh, this is one, though, that you will be extremely familiar with. And this is when God calls to Samuel, and he thinks that uh, it is Eli calling him. And um, we're, we're going to see what we can't learn from it. And I, I'm going to tell you before we read it so that you'll kind of have your mind in the right place as we read it, that the tendency, I think, for a lot of preachers is to read this text, uh, to read this story, and, and, and it's so well known, and, and to always think of ourselves in Samuel's place. In other words, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a text about God speaking and, and about Samuel listening and hearing and responding, and those things are right, but I think it's a mistake if we sort of focus completely upon Samuel and try to identify with Samuel. And, and mainly because we live in a very different and we operate as God's people in, in a very different time in redemptive history than Samuel did. This is a text about God speaking. And the reality is that in the time that this was written and in the time when this story took place, the normal course by which God spoke to his people was through prophets. So that there was this miraculous, divine, direct, and special revelation to God's people. And friends, we do not operate in a time when that continues. And this is not going to be a lesson defending that reality. I'm just going to state that as a matter of fact and give you one reason, which is because the canon of Scripture is closed. At the time this took place, it was not. And in the Old Testament, when God spoke directly via special revelation through men... He was still unfolding his revelation of himself. But once he had revealed himself sufficiently and completely through the scriptures, which they, they in themselves teach us about their own sufficiency for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that we might know about God and know about his son Christ and how to be in a relationship with him. Um, because the canon of scripture is closed, God does not... Uh, continue to speak directly through men audibly with this special revelation like what's going on in this text now. And the reason is because, friends, if God was still speaking to me, I mean, if God, if, if God had opened up the sky this morning in my bedroom and I had heard his voice and he had told me some new prophetic, special, and direct revelation like he, like he is to Samuel, the, who, who's the first of the great prophets, by the way, and is going to be appointed to that office by God, but if, if God had done that, then we all need to get our pens out and write it down. Friends, because when God speaks, we need to listen. All of us need to listen. That's why he's given us his word in this form so that it might be proclaimed and known and understood and heard by everyone. Um, and so, listen, whether it's the Pope or whether it's your preacher or whether it's you or your friend, when anybody tells you, uh, you know, well, God told me to tell you, um, all you have to do is go read the Bible to, to know whether or not whether or not what they're telling you is true. Because God does not speak to anyone in any way other than how he has already spoken to reveal himself in his word. So in part, um, we, we should not at least completely and solely identify and consider Samuel in this account and sort of look at 
what he was doing and what he was responding. I mean, there is some of that, and we'll see that this morning. I think what's much more important for us to learn from this passage and from these verses today is actually about God himself. I mean, for God came to his own and spoke. And, and, and that's a reality that still continues. Even though it's in a different format, friends, God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word and through those men who proclaim it and preach it. And insofar as we read it and understand it, and his Holy Spirit leads us in a right understanding. And so it's very, very important that we do understand how and in what way God does speak to us. And to that end, we can study this passage about God's speaking and learn some significant realities about God himself and how we might hear him better. And so that's going to be the force of my sermon this morning. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and read this story together. Before we read, let's pray. God in heaven, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now. Lord, that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, that it would be read as you've given it, that it would be preached and proclaimed as you have given it. God, that it would be understood for the ends to which you have given it. God, give us ears to hear, and by your grace, the gift of wisdom as we read. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 3 says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? 
Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Okay, so God comes to Samuel and he speaks to Samuel in this great story. And then Samuel is appointed to this office and given this message by God directly. And he is given a special message uh, that is for Eli and for his house. Uh, It's a difficult message, and then he takes the message to him, and then we see at the end God blessing Samuel and protecting him and continuing to be with him and establishing him as the great prophet over his people. So let's remember what we've seen, that uh, there's been great turmoil in Elkanah's family, and little Samuel was taken at a young age based upon the promise that his mother made to the Lord, and he was left at the temple at Shiloh to study under Eli the priest and with his unrighteous and wicked sons at a very young age, probably only three or four, maybe five. Uh, and some time has passed. We don't know how much time, uh, but some time probably, probably into his teenage years as he's continued to minister to the Lord, as it says there at Shiloh. It says he was a young man ministering to the Lord, uh, probably a teenager, maybe even as much as a college-aged uh, young man to us. We don't really know, and it doesn't really matter, but he had spent all of these years there ministering to the Lord there at Shiloh and studying and learning under Eli. And uh, God is going to use this boy. If you remember, we've seen all the sin and the turmoil and the darkness, and it sort of seemed like God was maybe forgetting his people. And remember if you, the, the close of judges and the refrain there that, and God's people and, and, and the people of Israel, they continued to do what was right in their own eyes. And the idea there that there was this constant returning to sin and bathing in sin and partaking of sin and doing what they sought to be best. And God would have to send them a judge and judge them and lead them. And then in sin, they're going to begin to demand a king. And so we're in this transitionary period And uh, as we see, uh, it it, it says there that the Lord, um, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But but there is the light, even if it's dim at this point and, and has been up to this point in the story, that there's been this little light that was little Samuel, wasn't it? Where the text was helping us to see and believe that God wasn't done with his people. God had not forgotten his people and that the darkness would not prevail because in the midst of great wickedness, God was shining a light and God had a purpose and had a plan. And that purpose and plan was little Samuel. And so this is the text where Samuel then is growing in his favor with the Lord and in his position before him. And it says there that he is established by the Lord himself as the great prophet of God's people. Now, there have been prophets before, I mean, Moses and maybe Abraham to some degree, but in the maybe official title and position of the prophet through which God speaks to his people and serves them in that way and leads them in that way, Samuel is the first of those great prophets. And so God has taken what seemed to be a hot mess 
and has made a beautiful tapestry of his redemptive plan for his people. And that's what you need to see here. I mean, even if you miss everything else that I say, don't miss that the little light that was young Samuel is shining brighter and brighter and brighter on account of God's faithfulness and love for his own. And that's what's taking place here. But that happens by God's word coming to Samuel. And it's a very uh, interesting story. There are some peculiar things about it. But what I want us to do, as I said, is to focus a bit more on God's interaction rather than on Samuel's. But what God was doing and speaking to him and revealing himself to him. And so if, you know, if we desire to hear from God and to hear God speak and to know what God would say, we must recognize, I think, from this text, the first truth that the word of God In whatever form it comes to us, the word of God in its coming is a gift. It is a gift. And what I mean by that is, not only is it a gift and how wonderful it is, it is a gift in that it cannot be purchased. It cannot be merited. It cannot be obtained apart from the giver bestowing it. That's the definition of a gift. If I give you a gift, it's something that out of the goodness and graciousness and kindness of my heart, I have bestowed upon you that you otherwise would not have had. Anytime the word of God comes, it is only as a free and a gracious gift of a kind and a loving God. That's what we see in the beginning of this text. And at the end, let's look. It says, the young man Samuel is ministering to the Lord under Eli. And here it is. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, for there was no frequent vision. So that's the first aspect. But then go to the very end at verse 19, and let's consider these verses together. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared at Shiloh again. For he revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So do you see that in this text there's a transition from a rare occurrence and appearing and hearing from God in his word. There's a a rarity to the word of God. And then at the end of this text, there is a regularity to the word of God in its coming. God establishes his prophet for his people and, and makes known to them that they all recognize from Dan to Beersheba that Samuel was God's prophet. And it was so according to the word of the Lord that, that, that they have now gone from a time where God was scarcely heard from to a time where now God is going to regularly speak to his people and, and to those maybe who are not his people through the mouth of his man and his prophet Samuel. So there is going to now be a regularity to the word of God. But what I want you to see in that is who is it up to when the word comes? It's up to God. Never forget that. That God appoints Samuel. Samuel comes as a gracious gift to Hannah, the barren. He is given to Eli, who's not the best dad in the world, not the best leader in the world, and as we saw last time, into a terribly wicked and unrighteous setting. Yet God preserves him and holds him and and molds him, redeems him and grows him, and then appoints and establishes him by his very word that he would possess his word and deliver his word according to his 
plan and purposes. Do you see that all of how the word of God comes about in this text is according to the gracious gifting of God? Why was the word of God rare? What does that even mean? The word, the word of God was rare in that day. Well, it was rare because the scripture makes clear to us on multiple occasions. There's an instance in Amos. There's some times in the Psalms when the reality seems to be made clear that an absence of the revelation or the word of God, an absence, a withholding of God's word is an act of judgment against God's people for their sin. And certainly that would fit the context here, wouldn't it? I mean, we know what's been going on at Shiloh, don't we? And the absolute debauchery that has come even into the house of God and among his own people. So it's not of any surprise then that God has been withholding his word as an act of judgment and allowing them to exist in darkness. Friends, there are a lot of great difficulties in God's providence in our life. There are a lot of judgments that may come. There is no judgment so severe and difficult. There is no darkness that is quite as dark as the darkness of being separated from the light of the word of God. I mean, think about John 1. Think, think about John 1, 2, and 3, where the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. In the incarnated Word, Jesus came to dwell with us. And those who do not believe in Him, John three sixteen and following, are condemned. And this is the condemnation, it says, that the light has come into the world. But men love the darkness rather than the light. Friends, there is no judgment at, at least temporarily in our day, that is so severe as God simply removing his light from us. I mean, we think about the Psalms that tell us, is it Psalm 119 that tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that is sufficient to correct us and train us and teach us. And friends, when God gives us over to our own wickedness and allows us to exist in our own darkness. He does so by removing the light of his words from us. Friends, in this context, remember all Israel had been doing habitually what was right in their own eyes. They longed for the darkness of their sin. They longed for the pleasures of this world. That is manifest in Shiloh and Eli and his family. And God has pronounced the judgment of death and separation upon them. And it is coming in the very next chapter. Friends, we see that judgment. That judgment of God. Why? Because the word of God was rare. God was withholding his word. He was leaving them in darkness. He had not given them a prophet, another judge had not been raised up. Friends, what a sad commentary it is that we get to the place in our rebellion and in our wickedness and our unrighteousness that the Word of God is rare. And you may say, well, we live in a time where the Word of God is not rare. We have preachers on every corner. Well, most of them probably are not preaching the gospel. But, but nonetheless, there are preachers on every corner, it seems like, down here in the Bible Belt. And even if there's not preachers to preach it, we have the Word. The Word. Isn't that what you just said a moment ago, Brother Aaron? That, that, that we have the 
unique and finished, particular and special revelation of God for us. And that is absolutely true. But do not think that simply because we possess the Word, that the Word of God is not rare in us and in our culture. If you look around, then you'd be forced to say, the Word of God is rare, is it not? That it at least seems to rarely have effect and to have rare an impact. The question is why? Because unlike in that day where God simply did not raise up a prophet, he simply did not establish his man by which to deliver his word so that he withheld it, God has finished his revelation for us and has delivered it to us. But guess what? What did we learn in Mark? If you were with us in that time, if you're not, I'm going to remind you. But like in chapter 4, and time and again, what does Jesus say? Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Remember? That there is a way to hear without hearing. Do you, do, you, do you see that even in a context where we possess the definitive and completed word of God, like we do in our culture and in our time of redemptive history now, that the word of God and its effect can indeed be rare? Not because God is withholding the word, but because of problems on the receiving end. That we listen all day and do not hear. Friends, you know, do you remember what else we learned in Mark chapter 4? That the hearing itself is what? A gift of God. How, how, you know, time and again, his, his disciples and, 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 and others wanted to know why they did not understand the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth, and he told them, because you've not been given ears to hear. Friends, God gives us his word as a gracious gift, and it only comes as a gift. But friends, even once the word is given, God must give us graciously ears to hear. He must give us faith to believe and to trust. It is, a, it is purely and entirely a gift of God, a free gift of his grace. Do you see that as is given in this, in, in this context here? I mean, if you want to identify with Samuel, I mean, think about just the nature of the text. God's word came with the intention to establish Samuel as his prophet, and Samuel did not hear. Not at first. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments with the second point. But just, just realize and see and understand that if God does not, according to his kindness and favor and grace, give his word and open the ears of those to whom it comes, it will never come and it will never be heard and it will make no effect. It will have no impact. Friends, God speaks and God gives us the ears to hear. It is a free gift of God. And you say, well, what's the point of that? Let me give you a few applications, three things. If God in his graciousness must give us the gift of hearing and the gift of his word, as, as is the case here, we see that he withheld it and then we see that he chose to give it. Right? He's, he brought about understanding in Samuel. Friends, if this reality is true, if, we're, if we are to understand that the word of God is a gift and only a gift... First of all, then let us plead with God to give it. Friends, when was the last time that you got on your face before the Lord and said, God, help me to see? Speak to me now. Not in some hokey, heretical, part the skies and tell me something new. But a commitment to pour over his word and then to plead with him to make it known to you. God, speak to me. Let us plead with God to give his word that we might not be left in darkness. Secondly, as I've alluded to just now, let us also plead then with God to give us ears to hear it. 
And closely tied to that is let us plead with God to give us a desire to go find it. He's given it. One of the main reasons we don't hear is because we know where it is, yet we do not ever read it. Friends, you cannot listen and understand something that you do not even listen to or read. Just to, just to be very practical. What a gracious and merciful gift it is that God has given us His established and definitive self-revelation, His Word. That is sufficient for life and faith and family and church and hope. And eternity. And, and it's rare in our day because we read it and don't listen and because we don't read it at all. So let us plead with, with God to give it and let us plead with God to give us ears to hear it and desires to have it. Thirdly, thirdly, if these are all true, then let us also structure our lives and our churches to sit under its authority more. Friends, this is a place where I stand in um, direct opposition to and disagreement with most of what takes place in churches today. And I'm okay with that. Friends, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the Christian church, he once said, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scriptures. You want to hear God? Read the Word. And at the time Shortly thereafter, during the Protestant Reformation, when God was working and moving and saving and redeeming and building His church, do you know what the customary practice was for the regularity of church services that included ordained sermons from ordained ministers of the gospel? That's right, six a week. Six. Two or three on Sunday, and then one every other day of the week, alternating. So that you would have potentially three on Sunday, and between three and four, Monday through Saturday. That was in addition to the catechism of children on Sundays, and the regular individual and group Bible study that took place in homes and elsewhere all through the weekend on Sunday. Six sermons... Not as a requirement, some legalistic requirement of the church or else the people of God would be chastised, but a desire for the people of God to hear their God speak. Friends, that begs the question in our culture today where the trend has... It's been to listen to less and less and less preaching and to sit as few times as possible under the authoritative declaration of God's word in one week as we possibly can. It begs the question, how can we possibly say that we want to hear God speak? I'm not, I'm not hurling condemnation. Don't, don't misunderstand me, but it, but it begs the question. It begs the question, friends, you can read God's word and I pray that you do. But God, though he does not speak directly via special revelation through prophets like Samuel, God has ordained men for the preaching of his word and he promises to bless it in the context of his church. It's not because I'm a good preacher. It's not because the guy down the street's a good preacher. Listen, I... Listen, I'm not that vain. I send people to other churches all the time. Okay? But, but, but how 
can we claim to love and desire the word of God and, 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 and claim to want to hear God speak if we want to listen to it as little as possible? The word of God is a gift. Friends, let us, let us treasure that gift for the value that it has. Friends, it is more valuable than we will probably ever be able to understand. Let us not squander the gift that God's given us. Secondly, and quickly as we move to the end of our sermon, I have two other quick points. Secondly, and I've alluded to this to some degree, but in this text we learn a different sense of, not only is it a gift, we must learn to hear it. Now, I've already dealt with the hearing without hearing and the gracious gift of God to open our ears and pleading with God. I'm not talking about that. What I want to show you is what it says in verses 6 and following. Turn there with me. So the Lord calls to Samuel again. This is in the middle of his calling to Samuel. The word of God is coming. He arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. He said, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. So Samuel has been called multiple times. He cannot hear. He cannot understand. But look, here's why. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, this is very important to understand. Why? Because I made a big deal about verse chapter 2, where the sons of Eli were worthless men. Why? Verse 12, because they did not know the Lord. And that they stand in chapter 2 as a direct contrast to Samuel, right? And to Hannah and their faith and their knowledge of God and their faithfulness to him. So what does it mean then when it says that he was not able to know that God was calling him because Samuel did not yet know the Lord? Well, it's a totally different context and it's totally different language and it means something totally different. What, what it's pointing to is this, friends, just because you love the Lord, just because you have been redeemed, just because you believe by faith in him and have been saved does not mean that you possess everything that you need to its fullest degree for complete and utter understanding of everything that God says. It is a process. Hearing from the word of God, obtaining ears to hear, understanding Friends, it's a gift of God, and it comes slowly over time. Surely Samuel could not hear from God. You know how many times he had been spoken to directly from God at that point? Zero. He was on new ground. It doesn't mean that he was a worthless man like Eli because he did not have a knowledge of God in his heart. It meant that he had never begun the process of training and learning to hear from God. Friends, this is a point that I cannot stress enough. For those of you who love God, have been redeemed, are made new in Christ, and who are given to study the Word, please understand that there is no need to be frustrated when you don't always get it. Press on in faithfulness to study, study, study. Listen, listen, listen. Because your ears are like the blade of a knife. They can be sharpened until they work extremely well. Or they can be neglected until they are so dull they won't cut butter. Friends, Samuel did not at first hear because he was still learning how to hear. And we need not think that we are any different than Samuel. What I'm simply saying is that hearing from God and understanding, it is a learned and a practiced skill.
It is one that is a gift that, that God must give. And, and if we are to have it, God will give it. But friends, God promises to give it, but he may not give it in full measure immediately. Let us plead with God to continue to open our ears, to continue to grant us wisdom and understanding, to continue to help us to be faithful to the listening to and to the reading and the study of his words. Let us plead with God to teach us to hear him. Thirdly and finally, it's a gift that we must uh, labor to hear. But it is a gift that we thirdly must labor and learn to obey. So it's one thing to get it, isn't it? It's another thing altogether to do it. It's another thing altogether to do it. Now, most of you in this room are not going to be like Samuel. No, let me... None of us in this room are not going to be like Samuel called to the task of being given this direct word from God and the task being to disseminate that word to another, to, to pass on the message. But most of you in this room will probably never be called to be a prophet or preacher in the New Testament sense where we take God's words and speak them after him and deliver them in a special way to those that would hear it. But friends, nonetheless, all of us are called to hear and understand and then respond. So there's two aspects that we see in this text of learning to obey and the, the necessity of that. Number one is to realize the difficulty of the task to which Samuel was called. Friends, Samuel was called to preach a terribly difficult word, wasn't he? I mean, let, let's go back and look at the text. God finally comes to Samuel. Samuel recognizes that it is the Lord based on Eli's leadership. He calls out, he says, here I am. And then God tells him, the Lord said to Samuel, verse 11, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house. That is the death of his two sons. In the same day, they'd be killed as an act of judgment, dead. And, re and remember, it's because, because we saw they, they would not repent because God had promised death as judgment. The time for repentance was gone. And we see that here as it says down at the very end that um, he swore to the house of Eli that the iniquity of his house would not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Why? Because it was going to be atoned for by their own blood. Well, that's, friends, that is a difficult message. And, and Samuel is being established as God's prophet for the purpose of hearing that message, digesting and understanding, and delivering it to Eli. Friends, I've had some difficult discussions as a preacher with people. I have never had one like that. But, but do you see that there would have been probably great trepidation in the heart of Samuel about obeying? I mean, it's one thing to hear, to finally understand that God is speaking, to understand what it is that he's saying, but then he was going to have to trust the Lord and find a way to obey, to go and deliver the message. And friends, I will simply tell you this. That's not always the message, you know, judgment and fire. And, but friends, it is often the message. Let me, let me just say this. If you have a mentor or a preacher or a Bible study leader, and the word of God that they have to deliver to you is never difficult for you to hear. Friends, if the word of God that they have to give to you is never difficult for them to deliver, I can tell you now it's not the word of God. Friends, the word of God confronts us more boldly than any confrontation we will in our life encounter. Because by necessity it changes us. 
It must offend our senses. It must wreck our worldview. And it must place us on our knees as humble sinners seeking salvation. Friends, the Word of God is not always like that. But the message of Jesus himself was not rainbows and unicorns. It was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, on the one hand, we have to learn to obey those of us as pastors, those of us as teachers. Remember what we saw from James, let not all of you desire to be teachers. And those of you that do desire, let not all of you become teachers, because it is a dangerous and a difficult thing. It is a high and a holy calling. Friends, be sure that your preachers have to preach messages and are willing to preach messages from the words of God that you don't want to hear, and even more so that they are terrified to preach to you. But secondly, as I've already alluded to, Eli represents some of the responsibility, doesn't he? And and I think this is maybe a a better day for Eli. You're not going to be called, maybe most of you, to to be that messenger, to be that preacher in an official sense, but all of you are going to be encountered and confronted by the words of God if we plead with God to give it and to give us ears to hear it and make us desiring to have it. God will speak and we will hear and then we must do. We must do. For this difficult difficult and saddening word comes to Eli. He, he demands that Samuel tell him, and it says in verse 18, Samuel told him everything, and he did not hide anything from him. And he said, here it is, it is the Lord. Listen, that's not a, he's not being um, trite with God. He's not, he's not, that's not a backhanded, uh, you know, whatever, he can do whatever he wants to do. That's an acknowledgement of the sovereign kingship of God. He is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Friends, let us get to a place where we are able to desire the word of God, where we are able to hear the word of God, where we are learning and laboring to be better hearers so that we might do the word of God. And friends, let us obey it. Friends, let us ask God to help us with these things that God might be honored by our lives, our families, and our church. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for the word that you've given us. Lord, thank you that you you show us our sin by it and that you convict our hearts, that you bring us to our knees. God, thank you that in the word that you've given us, you show us Christ and how those sins can be atoned for, and how we as sinners might be in a right relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray as the pastor of this church that you would speak to us. We need your word. Gulfport needs your word, and the Mississippi Gulf Coast, our country needs your word. God, our world needs to hear from you, and and I know that you've given us your word, and so I pray then that you would help us to see and hear that you would give us ears to hear, and then that you would help us to use them. God, I pray that you would renew and strengthen our desire to hear it. God, that, that we would not look for opportunities to sit under its authority less and less and less, but to be brought underneath it more and more and more as the day of your return approaches. And then, God, as we learn to hear it, 
as you teach us to listen carefully, God, teach us also to obey faithfully. When your word is difficult and when it confronts our life and our views, God, use it to change us and to bring us into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.